0: Hey, well, I just got back from Africa about a week and a half ago, and um, it, it was just a, an amazing time. Thank you to all those who, uh, who prayed for the different teams, who prayed for our team. Uh, we certainly um, felt your prayers. It was amazing. Um, no one really got sick, which is um, if you've been to yes, Tommy, I know it's exciting. It's exciting, but if you've been to a foreign country, you know that that there there are so many different things, bacteria and everything else that you're not used to. And so normally we get a few people who come down with something, and um, no one got sick. So it was it was um, an amazing time. Um, I got to visit a number of our partners there, and uh, it's just amazing the work that God is doing um, through this church in Africa. It was. Unbelievable unbelievable one of the the Um, organizations I visited was the Africa Windmill Project, which started, um, someone here from Summit went over there and was like, man, if we could get water, like irrigation year-round, you could grow crops year-round instead of only depending on the rainy season. So he's developed um, an amazing organization that is training farmers and helping them be able to get irrigation for their farms year-round and therefore creating a sustainable food source uh, for people. It, It was unbelievable um, to kind of go and see how dry everything was, and then go to one of the farms in which they've had an an impact in, and see how everything was green and growing. It it was just amazing. And so that's happened because uh, of this church. Um, But one of the things, the funny stories that happened is that, um, you know, terminology isn't always the same everywhere you go right? Like, um, different cultures, you could say the same thing, but hear, people hear something different, right? Um, and one of those things is toilets, right? Like, when you hear a toilet, you think of a toilet, right? Like, it, yeah that's what you think about um, and so we were on our way to, from uh visiting this rural village about an hour and a half from where we were staying and um, there were there was a group of twenty of us, four guys and sixteen girls, uh, which means that we had to make frequent stops to the restroom right like on a trip that long and the the girls needed to go to the restroom, so we stop at this school and um and we say um, they say okay we we should use the the toilets here I was like but do they have toilets, right? Because in some places in Malawi, it's just a hole, right? Like, and so I said, do they have toilets? And she said, oh yes, they have toilets. So um, they go and ask for permission. They go and they um, get to the the bathroom. Um, Well, it, it was a hole, right? Like, but that's a toilet for them. I learned that you've got to say a flushing toilet to, to, feel, to be one of the toilets that we envision, right? And in, in the, the reason I mention that is because we can hear uh, two different things, uh, the same thing, and it, it can mean two different things, right? Like, we can often hear something um, and from two different people, and they're saying the same exact thing, but you hear them differently. Right? And oftentimes it's based on the relationship that you have with that individual. Like, for example, my wife has it, it constantly tries to get me to eat vegetables. Um, I'm not a big vegetable fan. And so when she tells me, hey, try this, it tastes good— it means something totally different than when my mom, who really loves me, says, "Hey, try this. It tastes good," right? Like uh, the the reason I even mention that is because we're we're gonna be jumping into chapter five, and um, and even in this section about of that that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians, where he's he's giving us some instructions on how we live out this new identity that we that we have if we have a, a, a wrong view of God, we can interpret this completely wrong, right? If we have a, a view of a God who wants to withhold from us, then we see the things that Paul writes here that, that as, as being restrictive and, and limiting. But Paul spends the first three chapters of this letter telling us what God has done for us. So that when we get to this part of, of of knowing how to live our lives from from the moment of conversion on, like what what does it mean for us to take right steps towards God, that we would see God as a loving Father who wants the best for us and I'll tell you for a long time, I read this passage with a different lens, right like I read it as a restrictive and 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 a God who wanted to not let me enjoy life, but just wanted me to suffer for for him. And when you read it that way, it's pretty depressing. But when you read it in light of what the lens that Paul has given us over the last three weeks, over the last three chapters, this new lens of how we view God and how we view ourselves in light of what Christ has done, we can then become the lens by which the world views God as his people, right? And so um, I want to set that up because as we read this, I want us to read it from the perspective of what Paul has already built upon here. A God who came to us when we were far away. A God who came to us when we had no hope, we were lost, we were dead. And he came near and he says, you have a new position. Um, you, were, you, were, you were far off and now you're near. You were a foreigner and a stranger. Now you're a fellow citizen. You're a member of the household. You were without help, hope. And now you can become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. That's our new position. And in chapter four, five, and six, we're gonna look at what does the practice mean as a result of our new position. Kaylee started us off last week in looking at chapter four. Um, and she told us that, that, um, that people are deciding something about God by watching us live our lives. So people are deciding something about God based on how we live our lives. And Paul continues in that theme here in chapter five. And what I wanna focus on is Paul kinda does this thing where he, he basically encourages us to leave certain things, and to live in a certain way. And so you'll hear me say, leave it and live it. And what my hope is, is that as we walk through this and we see what Paul is calling us to, that that we would begin to identify those things in our lives that we need to leave and those things that we need to live into as we seek to honor God with our lives. And so that leads us to chapter 5, of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. We're going to be starting in in verse number one. If you don't, just turn to the backside of your bulletin, and um, the scripture is there. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul, again here, is saying, hey, as you read this, View it in light of what Christ has done for us, of what God has accomplished in Christ. It says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure: no immoral, impure, or greedy person—such uh, a person as an adulterer—has uh, idolater, Excuse me. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not participate with them. All right. If you see me sweating a little bit, um, it's because this is is the, the portion of scripture that my dad read when he was giving me the talk. You, you know, you know what the, the talk is, right? Like he literally sat me down. He opens up to Ephesians chapter five and he says, there should not be a hint of sexual immorality. And I am like, oh my goodness. Right. And so, um, so which, uh, the, the question that, that came up after he kind of reads this, I said, dad, so if I kiss a girl, does that mean I burn in hell forever? Um, to which he said yes and walked out of the room, right? Like for, for those who, who fall asleep reading the Bible, I couldn't fall asleep for days, uh, right? right? As, as I was like, ah, um, right? But if we look at this in the lens, and I, I'm just kidding, he didn't, he didn't say that. He did read this. We had a great conversation. I'll tell you more about it in a little bit. But, um, but as we look at this, um, Paul is kind of continuing in this theme that started in chapter four where he's saying, hey, I want you to leave these things. And I don't want you to leave these things because I'm withholding something from you. I want you to leave these things because I want to I use you. I want you to leave these things because I, I want the best for you. I want you to, to leave these things because um because i want people to see that there's something different about you i want you to leave these things because um, these things cannot satisfy uh, all your desires and wants i i'm the only one that can god is the only one that can and there there's a lot of churchy words in this part of um of you see, holy, and, and all these different things. Um, and, I, and I love that the way that Tim Keller um, defines one of them. When he, when he actually says that, uh, when we, we're talking about idolatry, and, um, and he calls an idol, I love this, he says, an idol is anything more important to you than God anything that absorbs your heart, your imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you, what only God can give. Right? You see, he, Paul is writing to this group um, of new believers that find themselves in a culture that, that openly worships idols and other gods, and he's saying to them, he's saying, hey, leave all of that. And that, that wouldn't have not been a, a simple command. It wasn't like um, us where we compartmentalize things, right? We have church and we have family and we have work and, and everything is kind of compartmentalized. There, the, the, the worship of idols was integrated into every part of, of their lives. Um, and what Paul was, was, was wanting to warn them is he was saying, hey, um, don't, don't, don't mix these two things, right? Leave all that stuff behind. Um, I often, uh, going to Africa, you, you kind of see this a little bit more, uh, and I think that we do it in our culture, but we just hide it better, uh, because our idols are not things that, um, that are not specific gods that we worship, right? But but in Africa, oftentimes you, you go to a place where the gospel is coming in and, and people are, are, are choosing to place their faith in Jesus and, and crossing that line. And for them, it's real hard to, to, to not mix some of their old customs and, and norms and practices with this newfound faith. And Paul's saying, hey, I, I, I want you to leave that. Now this passage can be a little bit terrifying because it says, I, "Surely I tell you this: that none of these people will have any part of God's kingdom or His inheritance." And know that I know that for me, for a long time, um, maybe you're you're kind of struggling with this as well. Is it was like you know, you, 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 you'd fall into a particular sin and you'd be like, oh my gosh, now I'm um, withdrawn from God's kingdom and, um, and I've got nothing to, nothing, nothing to do with his inheritance and, um, and I'm going to hell for kissing a girl and, um, and, and everything else, right? And what Paul here, the language suggests is that Paul is kind of compar- is contrasting the believer with the non-believer. He's saying, hey, I want you to leave these things Because for the non-believer, for those that have not crossed the line of faith, this is their ultimate outcome. Almost like pointing back to chapters one through three where he says, remember that you were once excluded. You were foreigners to the covenant. You were not near God, you were without hope. And in a way, giving them motivation to live lives that honor God. Because he's saying, hey, here are the the stakes for those who are not believers. They will not inherit God's kingdom. And I know that when I think about that, there are two things that come to mind. One is, and he talks about it there, he says, leave these things, but be thankful. And so as I read it, I'm thankful that that I have an inheritance, that as someone that's placed my faith in Jesus, not someone that doesn't sin, but someone that practices repentance and seeks to honor God. I have an inheritance, and so I'm grateful for that, but then my heart breaks because I have family and friends who haven't. And the reality of what Paul wants to tell us here is that there will be a real day of judgment. And this makes my stomach sick sometimes because I don't want to think that someone will go to hell. I don't want to think that anyone will go to hell. And oftentimes we can live our lives like no one is, but the reality is, and we can look at it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, all of us on that day will have to give account for our lives. And Paul is saying here, listen, the reason I want you to leave this stuff, the reason I want you to live this way is because there's so much at stake. There are folks who haven't crossed the line and therefore are separated from God's kingdom and are recipients of God's wrath. And Paul is saying, and I have called you to live differently, to leave these things and to live differently. And I'm calling you to walk in light. And verse eight says this, It says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Having no- have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul says, Hey, I'm inviting you to live as children of light. Remembering that at one point you were. In darkness. And he says, seek what pleases the Lord. It, what what Paul says here um, is, is is seek to, to determine what is genuine, what is true. And part of the reason is because these Christians, these new believers, would have would have been hearing different messages, and they would have, and he's telling them, hey, you need to scrutinize what is true and what is what pleases the Lord, what is genuine. Don't don't take things at at their word. Just because something sounds good, he's saying, scrutinize it, scrutinize it with, with the full counsel of Scripture. And that's true even for us today. Because in our culture, you can hear a lot of different things. And you can hear uh, one verse taken completely out of context. And it teaches you one thing and you're like, wait a minute. And there's this other verse and he's saying, scrutinize, seek what pleases the Lord. And he tells them, live as children of light. Now there's a, a part in here where, um, where he, this portion has been misused and I've even misused this sometimes, especially growing up in the church. Right, this part about exposing the darkness um, we often think that this is a command, a license of sort, to go out and, and find people as they're shoplifting somewhere and say you're sinning and and do all this thing, all these things. And it may not. Um, and, and back in the day, it was kind of the people standing at the street corners, kind of yelling out, "You're a sinner!" and um, and we don't necessarily see a lot of that happening in, in public now. But it does happen in social media, right? Like. You're a sinner because you signed this petition, or you're not a sinner because you didn't sign this petition. What I mean, it, it's we we do this all the time, and Paul's not saying that here. What Paul is talking about is a is a type of exposure that comes from living as children of light. This idea that we would live lives so uh, uh, so attractive and filled with the Spirit that people. Would, would not help but see us and look to Jesus. Because he is the true light. Right? He's saying, hey, the stakes are so high, and I want you to live as children of light, shining in a dark world so that when people see you, they see me. And the beautiful part about this is that Paul says, hey, and everything that that the light exposes shall be visible and everything that is illuminated will become light. This is a call for us to share our faith. This is a call for us to evangelize that we would share the light that that God shines on us in such a way that that we would illuminate darkness and that darkness would become light. And so our call here is to leverage our stories, that we would see ourselves, our lives as God's plan A for reaching the people around us. That this area, East Orlando, would be different because the people of this church, not only this church, but God's people, would shine a light so bright the darkness would be illuminated, and everything that's illuminated would become light. Saying, Hey, you were once lost, and God has awakened you. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Rise up. God's light will shine on you so that you can be light to those around you. It's powerful. Because we get the opportunity to be conduits of God's grace and his love by the way that we live our lives. And this is hard. You know what's easy? Is writing a comment on Facebook. You know what's easy? Is grabbing a bullhorn and standing on a corner and yelling at everybody that drives by. What's hard is sitting in the uncomfortableness of having a conversation with someone we love or someone that's near to us, right? That coworker that notices something different about your behavior and maybe you know, you've hung out with them and you've done things with them and, and now you've, you're different. And they ask you, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you different? That uncomfortable feeling about, of having to say, well, you know, Either I began to fight, you know, I've given my life over to Jesus. I've placed my faith in Jesus. And they're like, whoa, there's an uncomfortableness to that because now they feel like, whoa, so does that mean you're better than me or you're not better than me? And there's conversations that need to happen. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. And so oftentimes when I think about, helping those around me not easily wreck their lives, I often ask myself, like, am I uncomfortable in asking these questions or pointing this out to this friend? Because it should be a little uncomfortable. If it's easy, it's, then we maybe have lost the heart behind it. In chapter one, in verse one, he says, Walk in love. And what love says is, I'm not, just gonna, I'm not just gonna tell you your sin, but I'm gonna be right by you and hold hands to help you get out of this. And that's, that's hard. Paul says, leave it and live in a way that you shine so that others can see the light of Christ. Christ. And he keeps on. He continues. He says, be, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, this is verse 15, I'm sorry, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's, what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says, live as wise not as unwise people. But he gives us the clue for how we do this. He gives us a clue of what gives us the power to leave the things we need to leave and to live the way, in a way that we become light in the world. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And I know we hear that and it's kind of like, okay, Sam. Um, Some that didn't grow up in the church are like, whoa, Spirit stuff. Like, what does that mean? Like, like what what what's that all about for those that grew up in the church and um you know you're like okay but um does that mean that like I'm I'm weird right because sometimes you, you you talk to people um and and at least for me growing up in church people that often were kind of the, the spirit people were often kind of weird right? you couldn't go up and have a normal conversation with them uh, but what what Paul's talking about here is that this idea of a day-by-day, moment-by-moment surrender to God. That we live lives day-by-day day and moment-by-moment moment surrendering to God. I, Tim Keller, the pastor in New York, um, has this, this definition on um, why he compares, why he feels um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, compares um, uh, drunkenness and, and being filled with the spirit. And he writes that, if I can find it in here. Um, he writes that um, when we get drunk, we become less aware of our problems, right? That we kind of, we, we, we forget about everything. But when we are filled with the spirit, we become more aware of our resources, Right? we become drunk we forget about our problems but being filled by the spirit doesn't mean that 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 we walk in this kind of um this state where everything we're always happy and we're always joyful and um i remember that growing up in the church it was like if anytime someone asked you, like, how are you doing? You didn't say, oh, I'm victorious and I'm, you know, I'm awesome and uh, nothing can stop me. And you quoted three scriptures, um, right? Like if you didn't respond that way, they were like, oh, I think our brother's backsliding, right? Like, um, I don't think our brother's filled with the spirit. But but what what we see here is it's not that we we don't experience pain. It's not that we... You know, don't experience tough circumstances. It's that when we are filled with the Spirit and we're surrendering to God, we know that one day there will be no more tears. One day there'll, there'll be no more pain. And so when we seek, it says, seek to know the will of God. And we often get caught up in this, right? Because we think of our individual will. Like uh, we think about God's will for our individual lives. But Paul is talking here way more corporately. And God's not hiding his will for us. His will is to, and we, we read it in chapter one, it was to bring unity to all things under Christ that he would redeem and restore all that's been lost. And we can do that by living a life worthy of the calling, by remaining in him. I love that we had just come off the the, uh, Of the Vine series where we looked at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the only way that we can live uh, live, uh, in that, uh, live and demonstrate the characteristics of the fruit of the spirit is when we remain in, Attached to the vine when we remain in Him. And that requires a day by day, minute by minute surrender to God's will and plan for for us, the church. If it's to bring unity and restore all things, um, and there's a situation you're facing which is seeking to divide, We walk in the Spirit. We walk filled with the Spirit, a day by day, minute by minute surrender. Because otherwise, we're relying on our own willpower. And sin can have a strong grip on each and every one of us. But we walk from an empowered will, a will that's surrendered to God. He says, walk as wise, not as unwise. And we often equate wisdom with knowledge or understanding. And the scriptures, when we look at wisdom, it's this idea of knowledge and understanding with obedience and practice. This idea that I not simply know all about God's plans and his will and about God and do nothing with it. The Bible calls that foolish foolishness but that what we know would translate into us moving into who God's called us to be. It's kind of why Paul sets up his letter this way. He gives us the why behind the what. He tells us our position and then tells us how we practice it and how we live out of that. That we would seek his will Now, I know that for me, I often want a roadmap of what God's will for my individual life is. Like so much so that when I'm driving, I'm like, Lord, do you want me to stop at Wendy's? Right? like. I don't know. He usually never gives me an answer until I look at the menu and see 800 calories for a burger. And then I'm like, Oh, probably not. <laughs> but right. Like we often want this roadmap with all the details of where we should go and, and how we should do every single decision. And we often say, Oh, it's because I want to honor God in everything that I do. And so if he just tells me what to do, then, um, but oftentimes we want a roadmap so if things don't go the way that we think they should, we kind of have someone to blame or someone to take the fault away from ourselves. God instead gives us a compass. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit to lead and guide us in this world. And we get the opportunity to be light in the midst of darkness. He says, live as wise, not as unwise. So he's encouraging us, hey, we, I want you to leave these things. And I want you to live into these things. But we need to be reminded that we, we live into these things, not simply so we can say that we're holy. Remember, he gave us a motivation. He said, there are people that are still excluded from God's kingdom. We do this for the sake of others. You see, when I asked my dad, hey, so if I, if I, if I kiss this girl, uh, will, will I spend eternity in hell? And, um, and um, to which I was like, man, I thought about kissing the girl, which is an impure thought. Um, so it's it, I'm done. Um, he said, he goes, no, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't repent of your sin but what, what, what I want you to see, even at this age, and I think it was like 12 or 13, he said, you can have an impact on your classmates. He said, you can have an impact on your teachers. And it was this sense that, that my life can be used of by God to do amazing things. That my life could be used of by God to point others towards eternal life. That God could use my life to say to people, wake up, sleeper, rise up and let God's light shine on you. Paul says the days are evil. And he's not talking about kind of, Uh, you know, what we would picture a day, you know, a day, a 24 hours or a year. He's talking about kind of this age between uh, Jesus and the second coming. He's saying here, like, hey, times, like we don't have forever. There is a sense of urgency for God's people to live out the calling to be light. There is still time but the days are evil for that light to woo all every soul that is far from Jesus. The beautiful thing is that he wants to use each one of us that have crossed that line of faith. He wants to use those who have placed their trust in Jesus to woo the hearts of the lost, of those who are, who are in darkness. And he says, hey, he says, you new believers, listen, leave that, live this way, and as you do, God's gonna use you as conduits to share his love and his grace to the world around us. So what is it? that you need to, live, to leave? How is it that you need to live? Part of why we've been um, partaking of communion every week is because as we do, we're reminded of where our power comes from to even be able to, to overcome sin in our lives. It's because of what Christ has done Right, He says, listen, you can do this because Christ gave himself as an offering, as a sacrifice for each one of us. And it's out of that, being empowered through God's spirit, that we even have the power to, to leave and to live. And so I want us to partake of communion today to be reminded of what Christ has done, that we would celebrate this, that because of what Christ has done, we can be a part of his family. But it's also because of what he's done that we have the power to be able to be light in a dark world. So I want us to be light walking, spirit filled people that make the most Of our time, of our place in history, so that others can know Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, Father? We thank you that you, um, for the believer in this room, you've awakened us. You call us to leave and to live, God, just as you did to those um, through through Paul's words here. Encourage and challenge these young believers, Lord. I pray that equally today we'd be challenged to leave and to live not simply for our own gain, but for the sake of those around us. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would convict us of the things that we need to leave, that you'd give us the power to live into our new identity. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has not crossed that line of faith, Lord, I pray that today they would. That they would simply say, Lord, all I know of me, and I know that I'm a sinner, I know that that I've done things that I'm not proud of. Towards all I know of you, Lord, that, that you sent your son and that he died for each and every one of us. God, I pray they would say that and, and simply take the next step to knowing you more. Because yeah, as they do, they'll find life. They'll find freedom. They'll find hope. God, I pray that we would be a community that is light in the midst of darkness. And we would point others to you We thank you, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.